Hello everyone, welcome back to See the Sunrise. This is season two and episode 27. Seeing the sunrise is about seeing Christ in everyday situations. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33 and verse three, the Lord spoke to the prophet while he was in prison. He said to him, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Seeing the sunrise is an opportunity to see what God is doing behind the scenes, but not only behind the scenes, in everyday lives, in the lives of everyday people. From the pew to the pulpit, we have all had various experiences that bring us to a need for Christ in our lives. And I wanna introduce you to some of those or some of them through in-depth conversations. Maybe you too will be able to overcome things that burden you through listening to and hearing the stories of others. I will provide candid conversations and invite you to let me know topics that are of interest to you and we'll work to include those as well. This week in my weekly devotions, I've been talking about forgiveness. Today, I'm talking with a young woman I met a number of years ago. And as I got to know her, I found a woman of great courage, resilience, and an undeniable faith in God. And we have since become very good friends, I dare say sisters. So as you hear her story, I hope you will hear someone who overcame tremendous obstacles, was able to forgive and find peace. And today she stands fully confident in her faith in God. In spite of what happened to her, the overwhelming circumstances she faced, it was her faith, her ability to see Christ, to see the sunrise, the S-O-N, that enabled her to advance and to move forward. Hello, Sheila, and thank you for agreeing to do this podcast with me. I believe Hello. you're- Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited for people to hear your story and to just uh, listen and hear the courage that you conveyed and displayed, and also maybe some of the hiccups you had along the way. I believe your story will help a lot of others who may be struggling with similar or uh, situations or um, may have family members or friends that may be struggling in, in the same way. So first, let me begin by saying, when you shared your story with me, I couldn't believe how you survived, especially at such a young age. So can you share a bit of your story with our listeners um, so that they might begin to um, engage and uh, hopefully begin to understand and start peeling back some of the layers that may be covering up some of their hurts? Sure, I would be glad to do that. Um, first of all, let's start off um, just trying to imagine yourself, you know, and your early childhood, typical playing with dolls, playing with friends, jumping rope, bike riding, all the typical things. And hopefully that may bring a smile to your face. Now I want you to try to erase all of that. And um, I'm going to paint a picture, a very different picture of what my childhood was like. Um, my childhood was very dark. Um, I did have moments of joy, but many, many more periods of darkness. I, um, I lived a childhood as if walking through a landmine with the anticipation of it blowing up every single day in my face. My earliest memory of this landmine was probably at eight years old. Um, it was the period that marked when one of my own family members um, began sexually abusing me. 
this period lasted for four years and evolved into um, great trauma. How old were you when this started, Sheila? Forgive me for interrupting. Eight years old. Okay. Eight years old. Um, Second grade. You know, prior to the abuse, I was pretty typical, um, with exception to other issues that were going on in my household. Coupled with this abuse, um, there was severe dysfunction, severe breakdown um, of family unit. Um, I had a very abusive father, controlling, manipulative. Um, I witnessed a lot of heartache and pain. Uh, watched my mother suffer many beatings. Um, we lived in a perpetual state of fear, uh, clinging on to, <laughs> at my young age, not even understanding at that time that I was clinging on to Christ. But I had a concept, even at a young age, that there was something greater than me that was going to get me through this hardship. So it allowed me to um, keep pressing forward is the best way I can say it. Um, Our household was a little shop of horrors. (laughs) It's the best way I could describe it. And I laugh, but it wasn't a laughing matter at all. You know, on the outside, we appeared like the typical family. We, the family went to church. Um, My father was, very charismatic on the outside. Um, wonderful person, you know, like the, your best friend next door, you know, charismatic, would give you the shirt off his back. Inside, it was um, a very, very different story behind closed doors. We live like that for years. Um, and then, like I said, things got worse when uh, the sexual abuse started. So um, I dealt with that, um, putting things in boxes, watching my parents, excuse me, go through their hardship while I struggled with my own inner hardship because they were not aware of what was going on. And essentially the abuse stopped when um, I became pregnant. How old were Um, you when you became pregnant? 12 years old. 12 years old. Um, I was not aware I was pregnant. I was in the seventh grade. Um, I didn't find out I was pregnant until probably I had one trimester to go when we found out. I was a really scrappy, scraggly, typical, you know, little girl I didn't show or anything like that, you know, until the very end. And um, I remember it was one of the most horrific ways to find out you're pregnant. Um, My uncle, who was a physician, Um, came to the house and um, did a physical exam. Um, I was mortified because this is your uncle. (laughs) And I had no idea what he was doing. And I thought something was gravely wrong with me. And um, that's when he told my father I was pregnant. Um, Just because I had all the signs. I had, you know, the textbook, you know, linea negra and the darker nip, you know, everything. He knew. There was no no doubt about it. And um, what would have seemed at the time as a um, a moment of freedom from um, abuse actually turned worse. Um, I was made to feel like everything that happened was my fault. And f- I was made to feel great shame and um, 
no longer um, had a position in my family in a sense that um, I was looked at the one who was stained. Um, no, no longer having um, words of encouragement. Well, <laughs> I say no longer words of encouragement for someone at that time. We took what we could at that time, but it was worse. It, um, lots of name calling uh, for years, um, telling me that you know I wouldn't be anything. I was, um, I was worthless. I was stupid. Um, so you, as a victim, you were continually being victimized by the people that should have been protecting you or should have come to your definitely. defense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, um, there was no sort of protection anymore. There was nothing. It was, um, made to feel ashamed. Like I said, even by the extended family who, you know, even up to now, years later, decades, um, people are still finding out the little nuances of my childhood and within the own, my own family have not really fully embraced what happened and continue to victim blame. So, I should have said something, <laughs> you know, the, along the lines of those things. I should have told someone um, I must have wanted it. Um, I must have made advances to um, call that type of attention on myself. Um, and never considering your that age nature. that you were really a child at eight years old, eight to 12, you're still a child. They never gave consideration for that. Nope. I was just a female being fast. <laughs> That's what it and was. That was the term was they used back girl. then. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, um, that is this, the, the, the really abbreviated um, portion of my childhood. Okay. Now, those are dark times, and that happened at a time that you're kind of forming. The, that age is where you're trying to figure out who you are and what the world is and, you know, and where is God in this situation, especially you said you had a concept of faith. Where did that come from first, first of all? You know, I really feel um, if you look for it, you don't know what the it is, it will find you. Um, there was always a sense of calm in the middle of the storm that I didn't understand when I was younger. It wasn't until I started really analyzing things that I realized that those, it, we are built to be in connection with the Lord and he's going to go and seek you even in your most darkest moments. And I think I was just in tune to that. When there's so much pain in your life, there is nothing else to cling to. Well, I should take, I take that back. There's two ways you can go about it. You can get um, really dark into a dark place and get sucked into that realm, or you can cling to something that's making you feel like you need to press forward. You need to keep going. There is something going to be greater. There is something that's going to take you. And it was this at that age. Um, like I said, I did go to church as a child. I did have an understanding, but it was not quite clear because in my young mind, I'm like, why would a God that great do that? But at the same time, I would say, well, God is protecting me. He's still shielding me because it could be a whole lot worse. And so I clinged on to that hope and that hope, that little speck of light that I saw in the distance only got greater and greater as I drew close, closer to it. 
and continuously uh, drew close to that light. You call that 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 little spark. You call it hope. How can someone who hasn't found that or doesn't see that? How can they grab that light? Because I, I understand because when you're in dark times, you want to be able to see. And when it's dark, it's hard to see. But how did you, how were you able to, um, how did that light illumine? How did it come come to you so that even at that young age, you realized maybe it won't be so bad all the time? So, um, in my case, it cannot be this. I'm not going to assume it's the same for everyone else. But in my case, it did hit. It did take me hitting um, a really dark place. Um, it did take me realizing. So at 18, now fast forward, um, I experienced my first um, bout of depression, and um, I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, I didn't sleep or get out of my bed for three days straight. And I just laid awake and um, the world kind of stood still. And um, I remember thinking, what is the point of all of this? How long am I, is this my life? Is this what it all is? And I remember my father coming to me, a man who I equated with only speaking death into situations, um, he spoke life to me. You're the one who should have been protecting you, the one that allowed the abuse, the one that was name calling, all of a sudden became a life giver in words? In, in full words, telling me words that did not sound like it came from him it just didn't it it you couldn't reconcile those two the words coming out of his mouth was not the person who i've known for years and he was telling me you didn't come this far for you to just give up there is something bigger waiting for you and it was i remember thinking what is this? And I started noticing God in people and in circumstances. And so what can I tell people? So like, how do you cling to that hope? Um, for me, it took me getting completely broken in a place where I needed something greater than me to help put me back together. But he needed to hit me on the head with something that I wouldn't expect. So it's it's almost like you have to be in tune and notice things. God is moving all the time. He's there all the time. He's moving through people. He's moving through situations. And when you allow yourself to be in that place where you are completely reliant on him, there's nowhere else to go after reaching that place, but up and he will make it very apparent. And for everybody, it's going to become, you know, it's going to be different for me. It was, look, I'm using this man who, who, who spoke death to you, who threatened to, you know, kill you at one point. And now he's speaking words of life. 
Like who else but God could do such a radical transformation? And then once you start to notice little things, it's almost like training a muscle that was weak. It starts to strengthen. You start to notice. The more you start noticing details, the greater you will see how evident his presence is in your life. So I I would tell people, really ask God to still your mind, still your heart, and let him work in you and let him, let him show you how he's working and he will make it he will make it very clear but he will speak differently depending on your situation it's not going to be it's not a sugar it's not a cookie cutter recipe everyone's not going to get that same god moment but you will get a god moment you just have to you have to be ready to in that be in that place to receive it so it sounds like to me you had a you developed a personal relationship with god through trauma because there was nothing else. And it's when we're at our lowest sometimes, if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's almost sometimes when we're at our very lowest that God shows up, especially if we call out to him. That That's what I envision when I talk about seeing the sunrise, because sometimes we do go to those dark places because everything around us is dark. Now, you briefly suggested or mentioned that you uh, had anxiety and that you were in bed for three days, and that's when you had your awakening moment, and that was at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Me knowing you understand that, was that the only time, or did you find that throughout your life as you have grown? And you know, I will say um, to our listeners that you are successfully married, have four wonderful children, five children. Um, and you know, uh, tell us what happened to that child that you had at 12 years of age. Wow. All right. So let's begin to dismantle all these different layers. Um, so yes. Um, the first question was that the first experience, um, of hitting that point of being completely broken. Um, no, (laughs) you know, sometimes, um, we're human and, um, I've, it is not only, a, you know, when we say a place of being broken, I feel like it's also a place of being completely self-reliant. Um, we get to this state of, I got this, I'm, I'm working it out, you're completely self-reliant, and that's not a place of living in light. Um, you will get knocked down. So it's not necessarily you're in a dark, I feel like you're completely consumed in self. And, and not so you call that, that's not on anxiety. God. Would you call that depression or anxiety? Because I said anxiety, but I'm thinking, would you consider that depression? Oh, they all work in, they all work together. Okay. They all work together. Um, the anxiety is the, to me, the outward manifestation of sometimes, not always the case, not everyone who's anxious is depressed, but sometimes that outward manifestation of what's going on internally that darkness that self-reliance that um depressed state um is will show up as anxiety okay it can show up in different ways and um every you know i i have to be very careful with how i say this because it does not mean that if you're depressed that you put yourself in that place you know there there parts of our brain we have no control over. I'm not talking about people who are clinically depressed. I'm talking about getting to a place in your life where you are not looking to the person who gives you purpose in life. And you are, and you will then start having these outward. Now for me, I've had many episodes throughout my um, life 
um, where I've, I've had severe anxiety. And, you know, as humans, we, um, we are creatures of habit. We, we think things are great. We forget God sometimes, but that's the worst thing to do. And we, we, we allow the enemy to sneak back and let, let him make us believe that we are in charge and we are in control. And life has a funny way of knocking you right back down and you still don't get the message and you start having those outward manifestations. And for me, um, like you said, I, ha I had a wonderful marriage. Um, I did, it was phenomenal. Um, but unfortunately, um, another life experience has landed itself. Now we have a um, new, a broken marriage. It is, it's a new, you know, um, redefined um, formula for what our family looks like now. And I, during that process, um, you know, life was great. I had no concerns before the divorce. Everything was great. I mean, I was doing, you know, I was going to church, doing everything, you know, I was in, you know, doing everything that we think we're supposed to do, but I wasn't really connected. And I, for me, those points of my life where I found myself not fully connected is when I had my worst cases of anxiety. Um, but once again, some people have anxiety. There is, it is a chemical um, issue that occurs with them. It does not, this does not mean that you're not connected to the Lord if you have anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's what happened with me. Um, let me insert here. I know I asked you about the child when you were 12, but let me insert here um, why you're able to discuss and or be able to dismantle anxiety and depression based on your experience and your education. Could you just share a little bit of that with, with our listeners? Yes, sure. Um, you know, my life has um, um, been shaped by many wonderful experiences. Um, I have a background in education primarily. Um, and over the years, it has uh, changed into now I'm in the field of social work. Okay. Um, this is what has my life has prepared for, prepared me for. I am halfway through um, securing my master's in social work, and I am definitely in tune to understanding the medical components of the, you know, the psychological uh, reasons why one can go through depression or anxiety, but I'm also keenly aware of the spiritual attack and how those two can work together. Um, and I just want to apologize if you hear thunder, the storms are going through. We God understand. is in agreement. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so let's go back to the 12, the, the child that you had at 12 years of age. Yes. So we had a very non-traditional relationship, as you can imagine. Um, when she was born, um, she was essentially taken away from me um, by my family, um, but yet we all lived in the same dysfunctional household. Um, but we lived as if we had the best way I can describe it as not just one, but maybe 10 elephants in the household. And we just kind of skirted around it. She was the secret shoot that no one ever talked about, um, except within closed doors. Um, she was raised as my niece. 
and my sister raised her as her daughter and we were all living in the same household. And that's a whole nother story. And that's her testimony to tell uh, the situation um, around that. But um, around the time where I had that um, encounter with the Lord, it was around the same time, coincidentally, that I met my then um, boyfriend, who then became my um, husband. Um, who, another God moment told me that I needed to get out of that situation. Um, I needed to not just for my own self, but the sake of my child who was growing up in a confused state with no true sense of identity, um, no place in the family, no sense of value, except for the family value within her little bubble. Um, but she never really had a standing and she was only referred to as my daughter when the moment counted, like if I needed to get benefits for her, you know, or um, like I remember the whip lines and the, and the, oh my gosh, that was a whole other ordeal. And, you know, I remember how for years I would deny I was her mother, um, you know, but in the midst of those government situations, I would say it, but say it quietly so she wouldn't know. She found out when she was about seven, uh, my sister and I had a huge um, argument and she found out I was her mother then. And it was just, the, the trauma was only the beginning. It just started unfolding. Um, 18 years old, 19 years old, I moved out with my daughter under the guidance of um, my then boyfriend. Um, who told me we needed to leave. We moved in um, not too long after, about two years together, and tried to establish a blended family with the resources that we had, <laughs> limited resources, but it was um, tumultuous to say the least. Mm -hmm. I was dealing with a child who was just figuring out that I was her mother and what does that look like and what do you mean? This, I've known this other person and now you're having this male in my life who's who wants to be my father, but I'm not able to receive that love. I don't know how to receive that love anymore because what I thought was love, I, just confused, just confusion on a layer of confusion and confusion. Um, how was God guiding forward. you then? Was God guiding you through any of this? when You, you know, up? in the moment, I wasn't aware he was, but he, it's amazing how things were orchestrated. You know, I look back, um, we were connected with one of the best renowned, you know, family uh, therapeutic institutes in New York City and Manhattan. I didn't even know of the report, you know, the caliber of it. It's just by circ what, what I thought was circumstance. Um, I started receiving therapeutic counsel as well by another a renowned um, institute in New York City for um, survivors of childhood sexual abuse, and they specifically addressed um, incest. And um, I just couldn't believe how, um, you can't make this up. You know, when God has his hands on stuff and things just fit, there is nothing I could have done to have orchestrated that, you know? And so we went to the best family counselors doing therapeutic family counsel, you know, 
we went, I, at the same time, you know, simultaneously was undergoing radical um, therapeutic services. It took about three ther therapists before I found a match. And when we did, boy, did we work things out. And um, I could attribute that to nothing but God. Was, um, was it a faith-based ther therapy or? No, no. Okay. Okay. No. So, and I, 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 I think that's wonderful because as God moved you, um, I think a lot of times there's such a stigma um, with mental health and mm -hmm. God gave our physicians and these, um, these therapists, the knowledge to help us kind of sort through the muddy parts of our life. And so I'm glad you brought that up because if people are having difficulty, and especially after this year we've had with uh, COVID-19, we need therapists because we can see the things that are happening around the world and people trying to uh, readjust or go to what they consider a new normal when in fact that I don't know what, no, I'm not sure what normal is anymore. Um, mm -hmm, so I'm mm -hmm. glad that you mentioned um, that you went to therapy. Oh, most definitely. God moves through anything and anyone. He gives them the wisdom. He equips them with that knowledge to set us free from whatever is holding us back. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be open to receive, to explore, not only receiving, of course, we need spiritual counseling. That's first and foremost, but not limit God's ability and what he can work through. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I didn't have those services, I mean, I'm not going, you know, you ask what happened to that little girl, you know, right. myself, right. I know where I am, but my daughter she is still struggling, unfortunately, but um, we did not have a happy ending, you know, we, but we are, but I still know that God is moving in this situation regardless because he has showed me so many times. So some, it's not, it's not a magic pill. It's not a, you know, it's a, it's a combination of things that we use. Um, you know, it's, it's our faith, it's prayer, it's seeking a therapeutic counsel, it's seeking wisdom from our elders or our sisters, our brothers in Christ. It's seeking counsel from physicians, doctors, and utilizing all of those tools to help make us whole mm -hmm. <laughs> and not, you know, but um, it, it's not a magic cure-all. It doesn't mean if you do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, then poof, tomorrow everything's going to be great. Um, we also have to recognize that God moves on his time, mm -hmm. which is not the same human construct of time that we have. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what may appear as something that is resolved quick, that that maybe that's just mm -hmm. coincidence, you know. And another time it's just, but we have to recognize that not all things move that way. And God is still moving through us, um, working through us. And um, I do know that one day that we will we will be reconciled, mm -hmm. you know, because that's God is a God of unity, right. not you know destruction, and you know that's who He is. So that's I, where she is right now. You know, as still a, finding her, finding herself. Yeah, as a student of the Word and being a pastor, I understand what you're saying because a lot of times in doing pastoral counseling, we find that um, people are uh, they they aren't necessarily. I hate the word. Cure, cure, cured because you're not cured mm -hmm. it's it's a process and what I hear in you is God perfecting you and shaping you and each situation is an opportunity for reshaping and helping you to understand this journey that you've been on and that he's been with you and that you're able to see that all along the way would you say that shame was a big factor in getting to the place where you needed to openly 
because you convey a lot of courage talking about this, but would you say shame was a big factor that was keeping you from your healing? Most definitely. My gosh, shame was a stronghold that held me for years. And I could not do it of myself to break free of that stronghold. Like I said, he put people in my life to help me recognize that I no longer, I did not need to hold on to that. It wasn't my shame to hold. And once I was break free from that, that's when the breakthrough was able to, to happen. Shame was a major contributing barrier in my life because um, that's what I was told, you know, it's shameful. Mm -hmm. Don't talk about this. Don't, you know, when you operate in a place of shame, you really allow the enemy to work because he is the strongest in your darkest place. Mm -hmm. And shame is a, it's a, it's, it's like a veil that consumes you mm -hmm. and it, it prevents, it tries to prevent light from entering in. And when you don't bring things to light, when I, let me take it back. When you bring things to light, when you no longer have that holding you, you then decrease the enemy's power to continue working in you. And shame was one, one, one of the biggest barriers I had to break, break free of. And now he cannot, he cannot um, use that as a vehicle to try to break me down further. But I'm here. God can now work through me. You know, I consider myself, I always tell people I'm still, I'm beautifully broken, <laughs> but we all are. We yeah. all are beautifully yeah. broken. You know, yeah. it is in that place where God can shine and, you know, it, it, it is amazing what he can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with, there's no shame in that. It's right. okay uh, to be broken. Um, God is a healer. Yeah. Sometimes and our a, greatest you know, strength is, you know, God's strength, it says, is made perfect in our weakness and in our weakness Amen. he can shine and that's what you've done you've allowed him to shine and tell me have you forgiven all of the people that hurt you uh as a child and how were you able to forgive them so forgiveness is definitely a path it's a journey you know everyone's walk is different um for me um pretty much i would say most of the people who have um, what people would consider caused harm to me have long been forgiven. Um, have you forgotten? Forg Remember, that's, that's, where the pause, that's where the pause comes in right now, because I want to frame this in a way so people can understand. You know, for years um, growing up in the church as well, you know, forgiveness was always synonymous they went hand in hand forgiveness and forgetting like if you if you keep harboring and remembering something you truly didn't forgive it forgive the person and then you're not truly you know there's there's these messages that um are given to you and i've for myself from my walk i believe that um you can forgive someone but that does not mean that if you haven't forgotten the things that happened that um I'm trying to, to articulate this the best way. It doesn't mean that you have not been set free from that hold. Um, there is a place for remembering. It, it's, I like it's that. A, there's, there's a place for remembering because it is um, a, a reminder of where you came from. 
it you know what god has brought you through it is a reminder of you know really how to keep our bodies safe yeah you you know it is a protective ish thing you have to know it it, it creates wisdom within you okay mm-hmm. but where it becomes problematic is if that remembrance consumes you and you cannot function in day-to-day life where you 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 need outside sources to help you know you, you're just so you, this, you have visceral responses like anger you can't function in life that's where forgiveness starts to eat i mean forgetting not forgetting begins to um destroy your heart you know mm-hmm. so for me um yes i still remember i use it as a wow look at look at you go god you know like a little check oh okay remember who this person is because you got to protect your children you got to protect your family but you still have to press forward and not allow that um, to become something else that uh, not forgetting to become a, a different seed in your heart. So, so um, remembering is like a teaching tool also then. So you can help someone else and maybe prevent them from entering into a situation like that. Or when you see, see those signs, maybe help that person open up and maybe help them escape a situation that they're in. Would you say that that's so? Oh, most definitely. And not only that, it can be used as a tool to help someone else who may have gone through what you went through. So you can speak life into a situation and be hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we just forget, <laughs> what are we op- what, where are we operating from? There's so many um, benefits to remembering where you came from mm-hmm. and what hurt you came from and how that hurt can be used to help free and relieve someone from their pain. Yeah, most definitely. And so the question you asked me, have I completely forgiven everyone? I'll say no. There is one person. Um, it is not a secret. I'm very transparent. But I know God is working on me. I, I do hope to one day completely. So it's not, I still cling to that hope. And that is my dad. Um, I never fully forgave him for um, a lot of the things that we went through in life. But the person who sexually abused me, I forgave them a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I um, actually reached out to them on multiplication, multiple occasions to try to um, have some type of restoration, but they were not willing. And, and, it's, and that's okay. Everybody's journey is different, you know, but yeah. I, I cannot wow, live in that awfully, place of... That's awfully brave of you to, to do that. Um, what gave you the impetus to, to, to the person that hurt you, impregnated you, caused you years of depression and anxiety, and but you're able to let that go? I, I really want our listeners to just really grab hold to, you know, sometimes we don't have the, the severity of situations we face, but that you could you can literally pick up the phone or, or write a letter or whatever and say, you know, let's talk. I mean, where, where does that strength come from? When you start allowing the light to enter your heart, it's, it's like a, it's almost like a Pandora's box. You're talking about the, the light, light of Christ, right? To, light of Christ. Yes, yes, of course. Once you allow that light of Christ, that the one truth, he you no longer want to have any aspect of darkness in your life. So you will, I don't even think it's an issue of bravery anymore at that point. 
it's more an, it, uh, it's an awareness of how free you feel when you're no longer held captive by that dark. And the more light you allow into your life, the more you realize this is how Christ wants me to live. Amen. He doesn't want me to be consumed in Amen. a place of darkness. Amen. So it propels you to go and reach for the light in any way, in any place that has darkness in your life, you want to shine that light in. So for me, I knew secrecy. So there was so many days. So we got blame. I mean, we got shame, right? That was a big barrier in my life. Secrecy was another layer. It was like, okay, keep it. No, strike that down. Bring that into light and watch how God can take something so ugly or perceived as ugly and make it a beautiful thing. I wanted that for them. Amen. You know, you don't only want it for yourself. Once you start getting that light, it's like, oh my God, I got to share this. Let me share this secret with everybody else. It's so simple. Why are we making our life so hard? Get to the light and whatever darkness is trying to consume you, get bring it out so that he can shine through it. Amen. Amen. If you have a, a, a step in getting set free or to seeing that light, what would the first step be? What, what would you suggest? Everybody's different, Mamie. But for me, it's just, it's literally being honest and putting yourself down at the feet, God's feet and just being transparent. God already knows everything. We yes, don't need to come in here. So, you know, go to him. Like I talk to him. I mean, in reverence, don't mind me, but I talk to him like I'm talking to anybody else in respect. And I'm like, look, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you to show me. And I, I said, the first step is recognizing that you're not in charge, that there's something greater than you and you need to fall to that source and Amen. invite him Amen. in and believe. And you got to believe it, believe it, believe it, that he's going to work it out too. It's not a, it's not a, huh, you know, okay, Lord, thank you. Amen. No, Lord, you are the God of everything. You are, you know, everything. You are the God of healing, fixing, you know, you know, anything, anything that you need. He is the provider of that. So I'm not, and, and, and I take this, there's one more thing we didn't mention is, is medication. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the medication comes up. He medication is okay. That drugs are your friends, people. <laughs> if they're if they're and prescribed by a licensed physician. <laughs> okay. Once once you once you get it from the source, <laughs> the right source. A life, get it from God first, and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely go to God, and then wherever He leads you, and be willing and trusting that He is going to move, and just and it doesn't matter how many times you need to do it. If you need to go to his feet a thousand times until a move happens, which it will, you need to completely surrender and allow him to shine through you. Mm -hmm. That is the first. And to me, that is the only step. It is the first step. Yeah. And everything else, once you do that, will line up. And that's how it was for me in my life. Once I made that decision to go forward and trust and say, God, help me. Help me help myself, uh, you know, just help me and, you know, just help me get through this. 
he is going to do all the other steps for you. And what I hear is surrender. When you say falling before God, opening oneself up, because he already knows. He already knows who you are. He knows he formed you in your mother's womb. He knew you from the moment of conception. He knew what you would experience. And and just like Jer- in, in the book of Jeremiah, when I, when I started and said, when um, the Lord appeared to him and said, call to me and I'll answer you, he mm-hmm. really, really does. And I know because I too have had those moments where I've had to fall at his feet in reverence, as you suggest, um, mm-hmm. and cry out to him. And he does hear us. That's that little ray of hope that we hope that others will um, also embrace and trust no matter what you've gone through. And Sheila, your story is um, one of, it's an amazing story of courage. It's an amazing uh, story of trust and confidence and faith in God. And only God could do what he's done in you. And I don't want our listeners to go away um, saying, okay, so what do I do next? We told them about going to God and trusting him with our the, the things that are burdening our hearts. But also afterwards, if, if you would provide us with maybe some 800 numbers for individuals that may be suffering with anxiety, uh, panic, and depression. Actually, my last book, uh, Caught in the Undertow, addresses mm-hmm. that in, in brief because there's really much more depth and I'm going to be building on that um, in some of the conversations I've had and some of the readings I've uh, been exposed to and the people I've been exposed to. So... I just want to thank you so much. I know that there's so much more I could ask you. I want to be respectful of you and your time. I know that you've become this phenomenal mother. You've adopted a child as well, um, uh, and and one that is not of your race, which is just phenomenal in itself. And and they are <laughs> your children. They're lovely children, bright, um, well adjusted, well adjusted. Um, And it's a good partnering relationship you have with your ex-husband. And all these things are the result of, I will say, and and I I believe you'll agree, your faith in God and his light that has guided you all the way. So you've seen the sunrise. You've seen him shine in your life and you see him continuing to shine on you. Are there any other things you want to add and um, to tell the listeners that maybe we encourage most definitely, you know, thank you so much once again for allowing me this opportunity to speak to your audience. And, you know, my biggest takeaway is just lean on the Lord and trust that he will show his light. He will light up whatever dark situation you're going through. He has shown himself abundantly in my life and he can do the same for you. And he will do the same for you. Amen. Thank you so much, Sheila, for your time, for your candor, for sharing your story with our listeners. For those of you who are listening, if you do have concerns with regarding anxiety, depression, or panic, we know there's no cookie cutter solution. But um, Sheila is going to provide me with some 800 numbers that we'll post on my webpage um, so that if you are having these concerns, you'll be able to call them and they'll be able to find someone for you locally never negate. In fact, God is the number one source you should go to because he'll guide you to that right source as you are searching for that person to help you let go of shame and to come to a place of forgiveness and a place of light. Um, I pray that the candor that Sheila shared with you and her honesty will lead each of you to a better life as you're able to see Christ and to see the sunrise. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you, Sheila. 
Be sure to see the sunrise, to see Christ in your everyday situations.